Well, good morning. Uh, it is, this series is called Control Freak. We're probably all somewhat in the same boat when it comes to this concept of a control freak. Either we work with a control freak, we date a control freak, we were raised by a control freak. If my two girls were in this room right now, they'd be like, yeah, that's me. I was ra I'm raised by a control freak. We're friends with a control freak, we're married to a control freak, or maybe, just maybe, I'm the control freak and you are a control freak, right? And even if you're not a control freak, we all pretty much have this same uh, concept. We all kind of agree with this same concept that we want some control. Every one of us want control of the things that are going on in and around our life. We think things should be done the way we want them done. I want situations to be handled the way I think they would best be handled. If you would, if you would just listen to me. If you would just listen to me, things would go better. Things would be smoother if you would only listen to me. And here's the reality of being a control freak. The reality is this. You and I were actually created to be a control freak. Yeah, we were created to be. We are supposed to be a control freak. God has given us permission to be a control freak. And right now, at this very moment, there is a wife who is nudging her husband or a husband who is nudging his wife saying, I see. I told you, I'm right, you're wrong, if you would just do what I say, right? We are actually given permission by God to be a control freak. But here's the catch, here's the caveat. We're only given permission to be a control freak in one singular area of our life, and that is in the area of self-control, right? That's, that's almost a bad word, self-control. We're given permission to be a control freak in the area of self-control. We were created to be control freaks, but everything pretty much went off the rails in Genesis chapter 3. Everything pretty much went wrong with our ability to have self-control in Genesis chapter 3. And in Genesis chapter 3, that's when Adam and Eve lost control. They lost control of their lives. And as a result of a decision that they made, they began to blame one another. Adam blamed Eve. Eve blamed the evil one. They said, it's his fault. It's her fault. It's its fault. It's not my fault. It's their fault. And that's the day that self-control pretty much went out the window of the garden. And we've basically been blaming one another and have been uh, trying to control one another ever since. If you have more than one kid, you know, if you have two, multiple children, you know what exactly what I'm talking about. We've pretty much been blaming one another ever since. But unfortunately, we're not called to others' control, which stinks because, man, I'm really good at that. I'm really good at telling you what you need to do. We're only given permission to be a control freak over our own existence, our own life. Our self-control focus is not about them. It's supposed to be about me, myself, and I. And Paul actually gives us a partial list in the New Covenant of areas where many of us get tripped up in, the, in, in, in having control of ourselves. He gives us this partial list, uh, and I'm on this list that we're about to read. You're probably going to find yourself at least somewhere on this list because these are just some of the toughest areas for us to exhibit self-control. We're going to go into the New Covenant this morning. We're going to be reading from the book of Galatians chapter 5. Now, this is something we actually read about seven weeks ago. We did a series and we kind of stayed in this area. But Galatians chapter 5, we're going to start reading in verse 19. And this is what Paul has to say. He says, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, that's to say your flesh. When you, when you do what your flesh wants to do, the results are very clear. And then he gives us this laundry list of stuff. He says, when you, uh, when you follow the, the, 
the desires of your flesh, the results are going to be sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outburst of anger. Yeah. Selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties. I mean, that's, that's quite the list, isn't it? That's a list where probably every one of us found ourselves at least somewhere on the list. And hey, you might have found yourself all over it. You know, your arm might have been getting tired raising it all the time. Like, yeah, that's me, that's me. Oh, shoot, that's me too. But just in case Paul missed anyone. So just in case you did not find yourself on that list. And you did not find a specific area of self-control where you're struggling. Uh, Paul actually kind of throws a big wide net out to catch everybody up in it when he says, and other sins like these. And in other words, Paul's basically saying, hey, do I need to go on? Do I need to keep going? Because I can go on, but I think this probably covers the list. And if any of that describes me, and if any of those things describe you, basically what that means is I don't have self-control over that area in my life. I don't have self-control in that specific behavior. I'm just caught up doing what feels good, what feels right, doing what I want, when I want to do it, the way that I want to do it. And guess what? It comes so natural. It is so natural for me to do what I want, how I want to do it, and really not give a rip about what the outcome's going to be. Since Genesis chapter 3, that has been so natural for us. I want to control you I want to tell you what you should do. I want to tell you how to handle that situation. But I don't want to control myself. I don't want to control my urges and my desires. And then Paul goes on, and he actually gives us what the consequences are of not having self-control in these areas of our lives. And um, he, he says in the rest of that passage, he says, let me tell you again, as I've told you before. So Paul's basically saying, I've said this before, I'm saying it again. If anyone's living that sort of life, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. And we read that and we're like, whoa, holy smokes, Paul. That's pretty harsh. That's, that's pretty tough. But, but the context of that passage is this. There are two types of people who are struggling with self-control. And the context is this. The first person is that person who is pretty much identified. They would identify by the fact that they do not even try to control their urges. They, they, they're just out there doing what they want, when they want to do it, and they don't really care about having self-control. They're known by God. They're identified as someone just living their life, running with it, doing what they want to do. But then there's actually another person in the context of, of what Paul wrote there, and that's the person that's known by God as a follower of Jesus. You've made the decision. Uh, you, you've surrendered. You've submitted to making Jesus the boss of your life. You're now following him, but you're struggling. And you're trying to have self-control, but you fail. You fall because, hey, we all fail and we all fall. And you get up and you try to chase after God again and you, you fail and you fall. And it's just, it continues. Now, here's the bad news. Here's the bad news. Adam and Eve lost self-control in Genesis chapter 3. And the bad news is they passed that on to us genetically. Just the way we, it's why it comes so natural. That's why it is so natural for me not to control myself, but to try to control you, but not be able to control myself. It's in our very nature to try to control others and everything around us except for ourselves. But here's the good news. And this is where we're going to partially land this morning. The good news is what was lost in Genesis chapter 3, God can and God wants to restore it and to grow it in my life and in your life. Now, here's the real talk, though. This is the total honesty and authenticity. I cannot grow it 
on my own. I can't force self-control into my life. With my own strength, my own ability, my own endurance, I can't do it. I cannot develop self-control on my own. Maybe for a little bit, maybe for a day, maybe for a week. Who knows? If you're really, really, really strong, maybe for a month. But we really don't have the strength to be able to stay with it. And here's why. Because the New Covenant, Paul tells us, he says, hey, if you're going to possess something like self-control, it has to come through God's Spirit. It can't come because of your strength and your ability. It has to come through God's Spirit. It has to be, God, I can't, you can through me. And Paul writes about that in the continuations of Galatians chapter 5 in verse 22. Again, this is something we read about seven weeks ago, and we did a, really a whole series on this. Galatians 5, 22, Paul says, but the fruit of the Spirit. So all that other stuff is on this side. But this, the fruit of the Spirit. So the results of living a life connected to and growing in a relationship with God through His Holy Spirit. The fruits of the Spirit are these things. They're love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and there it is, self-control. Self-control. That's one of the nine fruits of the Spirit that Paul says, hey, these are the specific things that will happen in your life as you are growing in a relationship with God through His Spirit. Paul says there are some very specific markers in your life that'll let someone know, yeah, you're connected and you're growing. They don't just appear all at once. These nine things, they don't appear all at once. It doesn't happen just because you pray a prayer and you make Jesus the boss of your life. It doesn't just naturally happen. It takes time. It grows like fruit. Year by year, slowly increasing. But here's the interesting thing. It's actually not a complete list because Paul says against such things. So there's more than just those nine things. Paul says against such things there is no law. Paul's just basically saying, hey, there's more than just these nine, but these nine traits, these nine characteristics are a really, really good start. It's a good place to start. But in that list, Paul takes the opportunity to name these nine specific areas where our life, if it's connected to God through His Spirit, will be growing in that relationship. And one of those areas, one of those nine, the last one, in fact, it's our topic for this series, self-control. Now, Paul says that self-control, it's one of those nine specific markers if you're really connected to God. And it's a marker that you're not going to be able to do on your own. You're not going to be able to achieve it appropriately of your own power and your own strength. So yes, as a follower of Jesus, I'm called to be a control freak over my life. But here's the problem. Since Genesis chapter 3, I've not been able to reach the standard that God has for me of self-control. I can't do it since Genesis chapter 3. So real quickly, we want to define what we believe is a great definition of self-control. We actually, this definition comes from Dr. Henry Cloud, and it's going to be on your screen, and we say the self, that he says that self-control is the capacity to say yes to yourself and no to yourself at the right time. The capacity to say yes to yourself at the right time, the capacity to say no to yourself at the right time. That, that's our definition for this series of self-control. We'll be coming back to it a lot over the course of these next few weeks. But that's our definition of self-control. We should be able to say no to ourselves so someone doesn't have to say no for us. We should be able to say no to ourselves when it comes to those destructive impulses that are constantly knocking us off, right? Saying no to ourselves to good things when they're not in the right context. Saying yes to ourselves when it's going to bring about the most good. That's self-control. And every single one of us, I feel like in this room, at least I know I do, and probably everyone watching us online right now, we all struggle with it. 
we all struggle with self-control. Because really, when you boil it down, self-control is just simply being a good steward of what we've been given. It's just stewardship. Here's what I mean by that. When Jesus walked on this earth, a steward was understood to be a manager of something that didn't belong to you. If you were a steward, you were simply managing something that did not belong to you. It belonged to the owner, and the owner would ask the manager to manage for the owner the way the owner would manage it himself. So for us, what does that mean? For us, being a good steward or being a good manager of what God has given us to manage, and for this series, we're talking about being good stewards of our lives, and specifically in the area of self-control. God's given us a life, and we are supposed to manage it, be a steward of it the way he himself would manage it. And he wants us to manage it the way he would manage it. And that means we can't just focus on others and controlling you and you and you and you watching. I can't worry about focusing on controlling you, but self-control, focusing on myself. But controlling self is, it's also not allowing a destructive habit to control me. With self-control, we look for a way out to avoid the situations on that natural list of responses that we read about back in Galatians 5.19, that natural list of things that we all struggle with, having self-control is just looking for the exit strategy, looking for the door on the side to keep from walking in the direction of that destructive habit. It's looking for God's exit. With self-control, we can find a way out of doing what's destructive. Now, maybe you're sitting there right now and you're like, wait, okay, come on, man. You're, 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 you're making an assumption that I can find a way out when I'm faced with a choice that is going to be destructive to me. You're, you're making a little bit of an assumption there. Well, I'm actually not. If you're a follower of Jesus, so if you've made the decision to make Jesus the boss of your life, you've submitted and you've surrendered to his control of your life, there's always going to be out of something that's trying to control us. There's going to be a way out. There's going to be a door, an exit strategy to get out of a certain situation, whatever that situation is that you struggle with. Here's another snippet of something that Paul wrote in the New Covenant on this topic. And he wrote it in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. Um, and this is what Paul said. He says, the temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. He says, no different from anyone else. The, the things you struggle with are no different from the things that a lot of people struggle with. Everyone struggle with, struggles with. And then he said, God is faithful. That word faithful can also be translated reliable. Faithful, reliable. God is reliable. God is faithful. And he will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you're tempted, he'll show you a way out so that you can endure. So God is always faithful. He's always reliable to give us a way out. But here's the catch. Self-control, controlling when to say no and when to say yes at the appropriate time. Self-control is me taking part in that process. It's me choosing the life trail that's going to get me out the door. So I'm facing that destructive habit, that list of things maybe that Paul wrote about in Galatians 5.19, and I'm facing that door. Self-control is finding the exit strategy that God has for me. That's self-control. Some get it and some don't. And if we don't, the lack of self-control will destroy us. Let me, let me see if I can give you an example of, of, of that. 
Self-control, without it, we're basically defenseless. This is what the wisdom writer says in Proverbs 25, 28. The wisdom writer says that a person without self-control is like a city without or with broken down walls. Now, the context of that verse, several thousand years ago, any city at the time that the wisdom writer wrote this in Proverbs, any city that either did not have walls or the walls were dilapidated or broken down was basically helpless, hopeless, and defenseless. That was understood, the context of that statement was understood that if you didn't have walls around your city, you were helpless. You were defenseless. And that's the comparison, that's uh, what what the wisdom writer uses to compare a person who doesn't have self-control, like a city without walls. Helpless, hopeless, defenseless. Without self-control, I am controlled by my destructive habits. And and they're different for all of us. My destructive habits are different than your destructive habits and different from your destructive habits. But without self-control, we are going to be controlled by those destructive habits. What do destructive habits do? Well, they destroy. Now, in the last two series that we've had, really basically the last 10 weeks, it's been two series. The first series... Um, was a six-week series called Real Talk. Real Talk was all about following Jesus, that uh, idea of following Jesus, being a follower of Jesus. It's not a religion. It's not a list of do's and don'ts, things to do, boxes to check. Following Jesus, it's not a religion. It's a relationship that says, hey, the Christian life is, Jesus, I can't do it, but you can do it through me. I can't do it on my own. And then we, in the month of April, we had a four-week series called Take a Hike. And Take a Hike was all about living wisely, making wise decisions, wise choices, choosing wise life trails, the standard of wisdom in our decision. And that can only happen through God's Spirit. But in this series, we're going to add another layer to what we've been talking about the last 10 weeks. We're going to add another layer to it where we now have a responsibility to participate in that process with God's Spirit. Yes, we say, God, I can't, you can. In my own strength, my own ability, I can't do this. But you can through me. I cannot create self-control in my life. It is beyond my ability. It's beyond your ability. But I do have a part to play in this process. I do have a part to play as I walk alongside the Holy Spirit in this Christian life. I actually have an opportunity and a responsibility to participate in the process of creating this character trait of self-control. I have decisions that I have to make. I have choices that I have to make. I have life trails that I have to pick that are not going to take me close to the edge of the mountain where if I fall off, I'm going to fall into calamity and destruction. I have life trails to choose that aren't going to take me off the edge of the mountain and are instead going to take me and lead me to that escape route, that exit door that God promised me. See, if you're a follower of Jesus, as I'm a follower of Jesus, if you're a follower of Jesus, God has given us exactly what we need to participate in this growth, this change, and this development. We have every tool we need in our toolbox to do what we're talking about this morning. Now, we started off with the Apostle Paul's uh, perspective. We we, we talked about his perspective. It was the Apostle Paul's voice. We're going to change voices now. We're going to change voices, we're going to change perspectives, and we are going to hear from an individual who lived, ate, laughed, cried with Jesus. We're going to talk about this from the perspective of someone that was with Jesus pretty much from the beginning of Jesus' ministry all the way to the cross. 
And we're going to listen to him describe the same thing that Paul has been describing. And there's a lot in this. I'm going to be very honest with you, just like kind of leaving the subject for just a second. There's a lot in this verse, these next few verses we're about to read. There's a ton. And there's going to be a lot of stuff we're just going to blow by. And you're going to be like, wait, what about that? What about that? What about that? We don't have time. We can't get into it. We've got to stay laser focused this morning. Um, but here it is. It comes from 2 Peter chapter 1. We're going to start reading in verse 3. It's going to be on your screen. And this is what Peter says. This is his voice. He says, by his divine power, whose divine power? God's. God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. So the same thing Peter said, that's what Paul said. Or excuse me, Paul said, that's what Peter said. Peter's saying, hey, you can't do it on your own, but you've got everything you need from God to do it. Not on your own, not of your own strength, but God's given you something to make it possible. Then he goes on, he says, we have all received, or we've received all of this by coming to know him, becoming a follower, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. And then this is an awesome verse, so cool. And we're going to park here for just a second. And because of his glory and excellence, he, he has given us great and precious promises. Okay, great and precious promises, according to Peter. Jesus made a statement somewhere where he promised us something. He gave us these great and precious promises that Peter's talking about. So what are they? Where are they? Well, we're going to go straight to the horse's mouth. We're going to give it the, the actual, from the voice of Jesus himself. We're going to hear it from his own words. Now, before we do that, though, I want to set the background. I want to set the context of these uh, verses that we're about to read. This event from the New Covenant it is happening the night before Jesus is to be crucified. This is the night before Jesus is to, be die, is to die. Jesus is having what we sometimes call the Last Supper. This is his last Passover meal. And he's having it with his followers. And he's having it in some of that we said the upper room. And he's in this room with all of his followers. And this is the, the context to what he's about to say. Now remember, Jesus is about to be crucified the next day. This is the, the, the scene where Jesus washes all of the, of the apostles, the, his followers' feet. This is the scene where Jesus predicts his own betrayal. He says, hey, this is about to happen. By the way, Judas, go do what you have to do. And, you know, Judas leaves and all the apostles, they're looking around like, where did Jesus go? What's going on? They had to go, they go to the bathroom? What, what happened? Because they didn't get it. They would get it later, but they didn't get it in the moment. Jesus just left, and he didn't know why. This is where Jesus will predict that Peter is going to deny him three times before the sun comes up the next day. So in this meal, Jesus basically tells his followers, I am about to leave. I am going. Something's about to happen. I got to go. I'm not going to be with you. And his apostles, they have, they're looking around like, whoa, what? What is this guy talking about? We've been walking and talking and, and doing all of these things with this man and following this man for the last three years. And now he tells us he is going to up and leave? Are you kidding me? And they're freaking out a little bit. I mean, they're a little worried. They're a little scared. What's going on? What are we going to do? And then these next words are Jesus comforting his followers. He's saying, no, 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 it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. And I'm, I'm going to tell you why it's going to be okay. And it's comforting to me as well this morning and you as well this morning in, on May 2nd, 2021. It's the same background context. This is just Jesus comforting his followers. And this is what he says in John 14, starting in verse 15. Jesus says, if you love me. So all of that, don't worry about it. Because if you love me and you obey my commandments... In verse 16, Jesus said, And I will ask the Father, and he will send you another advocate. All right, advocate, helper. When I think of the, the English 
that, that, the translation there uh, for advocate, I always think of like a legal advocate. And if you have a, a, a parents who are not necessarily looking out for the best interest of the child, and the court can appoint an advocate. And that advocate, what does it do? The advocate speaks for the child. It protects the child. It does for the child. It makes sure the child's uh, well-being is considered and cared for. That, that's when I think of advocate. That word advocate, though, in the, in the translation of the Greek, it's actually a word paraclete. P-A-R-A-C-L-E-T-E. Paraclete. So we're going to get back to that word, because that's really, that's a cool word. We're going to get back to it in just a second. But Jesus says, I'm going to send you, um, and the, ask the Father to send you another advocate who will never leave you. i got to go. But this advocate's going to come, and he's going to stay. And then he tells us who the advocate is in verse 17. He says, the Holy Spirit, who leads in all truth. The world can't receive him because uh, it's not looking for him. It doesn't recognize him. But if you know him, uh, but you know him because he lives with you now and later will live in you. That's the promise Peter was talking about in 2 Peter chapter 1. That's the promise. Jesus made a promise. What's the promise? The promise is the Holy Spirit is going to come, and he's going to be able to help you do all. He's the tool. He's like, um, like the multi-tool in the toolbox. You know, that one tool that if you don't have it, you can't do anything? That's the Holy Spirit. He's the, he's the tool in the toolbox that you've got to have to get the job done. And then Peter goes on. We're going to leave Jesus. We're going to go back to Peter, 2 Peter 1, picking up in verse 4. He says, these are the promises. The Holy Spirit, the advocate, the helper. Again, the Greek word is paraclete. These are the promises that enables you to share his divine nature. Live a life like Jesus lived. This is why you can. And escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. This is how you can find those escape hatches and those exit strategies. It's because of the advocate. And then verse 5, Peter says, in view of all of this, so because of all of I just told you, because of all of this stuff, because you have the Holy Spirit, the advocate, the helper, the paraclete, because you have it, Peter says, make every effort to respond to God's promises. Okay. So we've got the Holy Spirit, and it can only happen. These things can only happen because of the Holy Spirit. Not because of me, but the Holy Spirit working through me. But... Peter goes on and he says, we have to respond to these promises. We have a part to play. I have a step to take. I am participating in this. There's a participatory process. We respond to God's spirit. And then Paul, or excuse me, Peter goes on and he says, this is, how you, this is how you participate. You supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence. This is where I said there's going to be a lot of stuff in here. We're just going to have to avoid it. Moral excellence. Uh, and moral excellence with knowledge. And knowledge with, oh, there it is, right? Ah, self-control. Knowledge with self-control and self-control with patient endurance and patient endurance with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, brotherly affection with love for everyone. Peter says the more you grow and the more you do these things, with the help of the Spirit, can't do it without the Holy Spirit. Got to have the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, it's worthless. Waste of time. But as you continue to grow with the help of the Holy Spirit, in these areas, self-control being one of them, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Big point here. This is a big point. My biggest regrets that I have in life, and I got a bunch of them. The biggest regrets that I have in my life, the times where I said it and I shouldn't have said it, I did it and I shouldn't have done it, I didn't do it and I should have done it. They've all been moments where I lost control over myself. Most of the time where I lost control of my mouth. Just for me. 
I said yes to something that I should have said no to. I said no to something that I should have said yes to. And I was left with pain. I was left with overwhelming guilt and shame as a result of that lack of self-control. But it doesn't have to be that way anymore because all of the Gospels tell us. Peter confirms and reminds us that Jesus promised for the Christ follower the continual presence of the Holy Spirit to assist in obedience to these things that Peter wrote about. The Holy Spirit, the counselor, the paraclete. Now, this is so cool to me. I, 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 if you don't hear anything else, like if you have totally tuned me out to this point, I understand. Uh, but just give me like five minutes and, and then you can tune me back out because this is so cool to me. Paraclete, that Greek word that is translated in our English version, advocate, paraclete, P-A-R-A-C-L-E-T-E. The one called alongside to help. That's the definition. Paraclete, the one called alongside to help. Now, it's a Greek word. There's a reason that it's, most of the New Testament was written in Greek. Big, big, Big old chunk of it, you know, a lot of it. Some scholars even say all of it. Paraclete, Greek word. The reason it's translated in Greek is because about three, four hundred years before this was ever written, there was a man, anybody ever heard of Alexander the Great? Alexander the Great, right? Macedonian guy, kind of Greek. Uh, he, like, conquers the whole world. The whole world, he conquers everything. All the way to, he goes into India and, like, whooping some elephants. I mean, Alexander the Great, very, very active guy. You should read about it. Pretty interesting story. Alexander the Great, part of the area that he conquered is what we think of as present-day Israel, Palestine. And what he did by conquering all of that area is he brought his culture, his Greek culture, to the known world. So that it was Hellenistic culture. He brings all of it to the, to, the, to the known world. And so everyone, even if they didn't speak Greek. So Jesus probably spoke Aramaic. But he, the second language for almost everyone in the world at that time was Greek because of Alexander the Great. It's amazing how God kind of worked all that out, you know. But that's, again, we don't have time. Got to focus, Cole. Okay, so Greek. Kind of like English is today. You may not be your first language, but the second language for most countries is English. Well, the second language for most countries at this time, most areas, most peoples, was Greek. So the New Testament was written in Greek. And the Greek word for paraclete, our word advocate, talking about the Holy Spirit, is uh, the definition, the one called alongside to help. Now, get this. In Greek culture, when a Greek soldier would go into battle, When they would go into battle, this was in Alexander the Great's time all the way through. When a Greek soldier would go into battle, he would never go into battle alone. Never. He would always go into battle with another person, with a pair. There would be two of them, a battle buddy. He'd go into battle with a battle buddy. I know that kind of dumbs it down a little, but that's what it was. He goes into battle with another soldier. So that when they were attacked, they could draw back to back with one another covering each other's blind sides, covering each other's weaknesses, protecting one another. What was that Greek soldier's battle buddy called? Paraclete. He was called the paraclete. The same word used to describe the Holy Spirit. God doesn't send us into battle alone. We don't have to do it alone. We don't have to do it unarmed. Jesus promises, if you're a follower of Jesus, you are going to have the the presence of the paraclete, the Holy Spirit. Your battle buddy, not just around us, but actually in our lives, teaching us, guiding us, empowering us. We've got that. I've got that. That's the multi-tool in the toolbox. Now, total transparency here, though. Total transparency. I've had moments in my life where I didn't use self-control to say yes when I should have, no 
when I should have had moments where I didn't uh, use self-control to, you know, say no to destructive impulses. I've got the scars to prove it. And I'm going, it's, it's amazing. It's like the evil one just kind of keeps up a running list, like a tab of every time I lost control. Because it seems like every time that I'm trying to partner with God, walk alongside with God in this relationship with God, uh, with, with, through the power of the Holy Spirit, trying to develop self-control in my life, those are the times where my mind is flooded with all of the times I blew it, all of the times I lost self-control, all of the times I said it, I did it, I didn't do it, and I should have. And the more I think about all of those failures, the more I think, man, I can't do this. You may be sitting there right now hearing me, hearing me say this and thinking, man, it's, you just don't know my story. You don't know. You don't know who you're talking to. I think, hey, I gave in then. I've got no hope because I'm going to give in again. I'm not going to be able to do this. But that's only half of the truth, and half of the truth is a whole lie because it's true. Yeah, if it's up to you, if it's up to me, my own strength, my own ability, can't do it. I've proven that over and over and over. I can't do it. But here's the rest of the story. With God's Spirit helping, leading, guiding, that paraclete, that battle buddy, I can. I can today. I can tomorrow. Because my past only tells me where I've been. It doesn't have to point me to where I'm going. But the evil one's voice is persistent, isn't it? I mean, he's clever. He doesn't give up. And if I'm not careful, if I'm not very careful when it comes to fighting this battle of having self-control with the Spirit's help, if I am not careful, I'm going to hear all of the times I've blown it, all of the times I've screwed up, all of the times that I have lost control, and I'm going to say, that's it, I'm done, and I'm going to walk off the battlefield. I'm going to end the battle. I'm going to say, forget it. I'm just going to keep going. I'm not going to even look for that exit strategy that God's promised. I, I'm just, I'm out. I've done it a hundred times. Who's counting though, right? Well, the evil one's counting because every time I'm reminded. He reminds me how bad I am, how hopeless I am, so I might as well give up because at least if I do this, I'll feel better because this is at least what I want to do, what my destructive impulses want me to do. But here is the step. This is the participation. This is where we get to be in step with God's Spirit as we grow and as we develop in this thing of having self-control. This is our participatory step, our response, the practical step where we can regain and maintain self-control. As soon as I hear the evil one saying, hey, you blew it last time, why do you think you're not going to blow it this one this time? I got to stay engaged. I got to keep fighting. I got to stay engaged in the battle. I got to get back to back with my battle buddy. I've got to call out to God, my advocate, my helper, my redeemer, my paraclete, and say, I can't do this, but I know, and you've promised me, and if you don't come through, hey, that's on you. May not put it that way, but that's practically what it is. I can't do it. But you've promised me that if I lean into you, I can, and you will through me. And I stay back to back with him, side by side with him. Because by myself, I'm going to fail. I'm going to blow it. I've done it before. I'm going to blow it again. But with my advocate, my blind side is protected. My weaknesses are covered. And that gets us to our bottom line this morning. Our bottom line is this. Alone, I usually fail. But calling on and leaning into the right voice, I'm able to say yes or no to myself at the right time. I can't do it on my own. But if I lean into my battle buddy, I can have self-control. So what does that mean for us this week? What does that mean as far as a next step, next steps that we can take this week, practical participatory steps in this process of developing self-control? Well, the first one would be this. I, we would encourage you, read. Read. Read uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 13. Read it. It's not long. It's actually pretty cool. Read it several times this week. And each time you read it, talk to God about it. 
Talk to God about what it means, what it says, what it means to you. Read. After you read, recognize. Recognize the voice this week that is trying to get you to say yes to yourself at the wrong time. No to yourself at the wrong time. Recognize the voice. Where is it coming from? Read, recognize, and then once you do that, call out. Call out to your helper. Call out to your advocate. Call out to my battle buddy, the paraclete, the Holy Spirit. Call out and say, I can't do this on my, on my own. No way, no, 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 no way can I do this. But I can through you. Read, recognize, call out, and then fight. Listen, learn, grow self-control bit by bit. Look for that escape hatch that he promised. Bottom line, alone I usually fail by calling on and leaning into the right voice. I'm able, alone I usually feel, but calling on and leaning into the right voice, I'm able to say yes or no to myself at the right time. I'm grateful for God's plan in this thing. Now, one more time, back to the words of Jesus as we close. Remember, Jesus is comforting his followers. They are freaking out. Where are you going, Jesus, and what are we going to do? This is what Jesus says to his worried, confused, and dejected followers in John 14, 26. He says, but when the Father sends the advocate... As my representative, that is, Jesus says, the Holy Spirit, the paraclete, the battle buddy. He'll teach you everything and will remind you of everything that I've told you. Jesus says at just the right time, just when you need him. If we'll listen, if we'll allow it, he'll teach us and he'll guide us. So think with me, developing self-control. I can't do it, but God, you can through me. I can't do it on my own, though. But it has to be when I participate in this process. I have steps to take. This helper, this advocate, this paraclete, my battle buddy. Look, I'm not co-equal with him. It's not like he's protecting my blind side and I'm protecting his. He don't need my help. But does that change in any way this morning my battle plan for having self-control and living my life? I, I think it does. Because God himself is protecting my blind spots. And my weaknesses. But I'm right there with him. I'm participating. I'm choosing life trails that are going to help me find those escapes moment by moment and decision by decision. I mean, I'm tired of having the same old experience over and over and over. I'm tired of it. I'm tired of being a habitual control freak in every area of my life except for the one that I'm really supposed to. Self-control. I mean, and if you're in the same boat as I am, maybe just give it a shot. Maybe it's time for a change. We'd encourage you, just keep connecting with us in this series. This series is a big bite. It's a five-week bite. It's not just a one-week bite. If you have to miss a week, that's okay. Listen to it on SoundCloud. Check it out on YouTube, Facebook. But keep connecting with us. Keep coming. Keep seeking. Because we're going to unpack a bunch over the next four weeks. In fact, the next four weeks, we are going to uh, talk very specifically about four areas where God might help us, will help us, with spiritual discipline and learning when to say yes at the right time and no at the right at the right time four areas really significant areas areas that if we could even get a partial grasp of it would make such a huge impact saying yes to ourselves at the right time and no to ourselves at the right time as we grow in becoming a control freak over ourselves let's pray Jesus, this is a me too prayer for all of us. This is for those that are sitting in this room right now. If, they're, if this is me too, then God, this is, this is for all of us. So often I don't say yes and no to myself at the right time. Way too often. 
I desire to control others around me, but I have no interest in having control over myself. Thank you for the promises of an advocate, a helper, the Holy Spirit. And like Peter experienced, I want to make every effort to respond to those promises, to God's promises. I want to listen to you. I want to listen for you. I want to lean into you, Holy Spirit. Jesus, you told us that the Holy Spirit, he'll teach us everything and will remind, remind us of everything that you have already said. And I, don't, I want to respond. I want to do my part. I want to listen. I want to live my life moment by moment listening to you. And I know that you'll help me to develop and grow self-control. God, help me to learn when to say yes to myself. Help me to learn when to say no to myself because I want to be more useful to you, Father. And the more self-control that you develop in me, the more you can use me and the more you can use me to see the world around us connected to you eternally. God, give us the wisdom to know what to do with what we've heard this morning and give us the courage to do it. And it's in your son's name we ask these things. Amen.